not just something silly. Anyways. Uh, well, good morning. Today is uh, Pentecost. Who knew? Right? I barely know. Um, and I'm calling today's message Pentecost and the church you've always wanted. Which I like the title because it sounds like a 90s ska band, a Christian ska band, right? You guys know that. That's, that would give, they would put out a great song. Pentecost and the church you've always wanted. Like a... So long of a name. Um, and if you don't know what ska is, that's okay. You'll be fine. You, you could go without knowing. Um, so, look, Pentecost. Like, for those of you who don't know, Pentecost is like part of the traditional church calendar. Like, there's this whole tradition in Christianity. Like, like Christmas is part of the church calendar. You're familiar with that. Easter is part of the church calendar. calendar. You're aware of that. Then there's all these lesser things that are observed on an annual basis. And uh, today, on the church calendar, it is, it is Pentecost. Um, we don't usually keep to the church calendar, except for you know, Christmas and Easter. We do those. Um, but, you know, since we just wrapped up a series in Acts, I thought it would be really good to just kind of pause and to observe Pentecost and, and do like a, a Pentecost service. Um, Pentecost is actually like it's a Jewish festival which is kind of the background for the, for the New Testament and Jesus' ministry. It's a Jewish festival. The ancient Israelites celebrated Pentecost 50 days after the Passover, or seven weeks after the Passover, seven weeks in a day. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, you sometimes see uh, Pentecost called by its Hebrew name Shavuot, or translated the Feast of Weeks. So Pentecost and the Feast of Weeks are the, are the same thing, depending on what translation you're reading, or if you're reading it in Hebrew, like you do. Um, and so, yeah, so there was this Old Testament uh, Hebrew festival, and it was one of the three festivals where, where the Jews in ancient Israel were, were supposed to come to Jerusalem all together to gather together and bring offerings to the Lord. And since the, the Feast of Weeks coincided intentionally with the harvest of grain, you know, because the grain is harvested around the same time every year, the Jews were instructed to offer to God like loaves that they baked from, from the grain that they had taken in. And after Jesus' crucifixion, which was on Passover, right around Passover, Pentecost came to having new significance for his disciples, who all the early disciples were Jewish themselves. Because it, it was then, on the celebration of Pentecost immediately after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, it was on Pentecost where the disciples were gathered in the upper room. You read about that in Acts 1 and 2. They were gathered in the upper room. They were, they were unsure of what was next room. They were, they were gathered and they were praying together. Um, they were just waiting on God to do something, right? Because Jesus had died. They were dismayed, but he was resurrected and he, he showed up among them and told them to just keep waiting for him and to wait. He was going to send the Holy Spirit upon them. They were anticipating good things, but they were just kind of, being patient for weeks, for weeks and weeks, you know, hiding out, praying together. But on Pentecost, Jesus begins the next thing, the next thing. God brings about the next thing. He, he brings about, really, it's, this is the birth of the church, the Christian church, the church that would worship Jesus. And we see it recounted, what happened on Pentecost in Acts 2. Um, Acts 2, verse 1, it says this. 
When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly sound like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And just skipping ahead a little bit uh, to verse 12, people gathered around, and it says this about the people who heard them, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So there's this scene on the day of Pentecost, the, the 120 or so followers of Jesus, men and women, were gathered together, praying, they're fellowshipping, they're, they're waiting on God to do something, to send the promise, the promise of his Holy Spirit. And suddenly, on that, the day that the Jews are all gathered in Jerusalem, celebrating a new harvest, celebrating a new thing, God's provision, on that day, the Lord does something miraculous. He sends down the Holy Spirit like tongues of fire, and the people are literally, the, the, the disciples of Jesus are filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in different tongues, different languages, and they're out in the street, and people see this happening, and the people are just astounded because they've come, they've come from all over the the Roman Empire, and they speak different languages. And suddenly, these disciples who are, you know, Galileans from nowhere, they don't speak a lot of languages, they are speaking their languages perfectly. There are people hearing this, and they're astounded. And they're wondering to themselves, what does this mean? And some people think it means that they're super drunk, right? But then Peter explains, no, it's, it's really, it's not that. It's not that these people are drunk, because <laughs> Peter's defense is, it's still the morning. Which is good. I mean, yeah, that's true. That's true. It'd be a little early for that. Also, I don't think making you drunk makes you speak in other languages, but call me crazy. Um, they're filled with the Spirit. Uh, Peter's explaining to them. He goes to explain to them what it means. And he says this. His explanation is pretty straightforward. I'm, I'm jumping to the end of it. There's, there's more to it. But he says, God has raised this Jesus. And we are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since uh, he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised uh, Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So Peter is trying to give some context. He's trying to explain to the people watching this go on because they're, they're astounded at what's happening. And he explains that all of this stuff is actually part of a prophetic thing, something that, that the prophet said was going to happen, and it's all related to this Jesus, the Messiah, the, the one who, ha, who God had promised from the Old Testament that was going to come in and save Israel and reestablish them and build them up. And what he says is that Jesus, he was sent, he's Messiah, and God is testifying to that, but, but you just kind of crucified him like, you know, seven weeks ago, if you'll remember. And people are freaked out. Understandably, it, it, it's, it's, it's something that is, is scary to them. But Peter isn't explaining this to them so that they'll freak out. He's, he's giving it to them. He's explaining it to them as evidence, as evidence that God has done something by sending Jesus, and he's now sending the Holy Spirit. He's building up a church. He's building up a church and supplying the church with something that they've always needed, always wanted. He's supplying the people of God with himself. He is making good on all the promises concerning the Messiah that Israel has been waiting to be fulfilled. What 
Peter is telling them is that all of that is happening now because of what Jesus has done. And all of that is happening now because this new age, this age where, where God is, is bringing things forward, some things are different now, is basically the point. Israel had history with God, a long history with God. Their identity was about their history with God. They, as people, they considered themselves God people. And their story, right, and they, they knew this story well, was them trying to be faithful to God and yet continually failing to do so. And God kind of knew this about them. He still called them to be faithful, but he basically had been promising over the ages that he was going to, to solve this problem. He was going to send someone who could be faithful, teach them to be faithful, a king, a prophet, a priest, one who is the Messiah. He was going to send them someone to renew them. He was going to send this Messiah, this Savior. He was going to heal the people of their unfaithfulness, and they had just been waiting around for that. Those promises are the heartbeat of the Old Testament, and what Peter is saying is that they are now being fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and here you are witnesses of the Holy Spirit, like testifying to the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the Messiah, and something new is going on because of Pentecost. Something new is going on. John Mark Comer, I've used this quote before, so you might recognize it, but he says, the main thing that God is doing in the world is he's forming a new humanity of people, not based on ethnicity or nation-state citizenship of blood at all, but based on allegiance to King Jesus, a new humanity that we call the church. He's forming them into people who are pervaded by love and wisdom and power as Jesus was. The point that Peter needs these people to understand is that God is now doing a new thing. And what we see, like we've been seeing in the book of Acts, is that it's not on the base, uh, basis of you know, blood or ethnicity. It's not only for, for Jews, but it is uh, a missionary movement to all people. And what God is doing is he's healing the brokenness in people, the sin, the separation, the things that keep us from faithfulness. And he's sending himself and he's pervading people by his spirit with love and wisdom and power in the same way that Jesus was. That Holy Spirit, that Jesus was full of the Spirit, and He is sending the Spirit to His people. And we have to understand that, that Pentecost is significant in the story of God's work because He's doing a new thing in this moment. He is establishing the church. He's establishing and building up a people. He's establishing the church he's always wanted, the people he's always wanted, and he's enabling and equipping them to be faithful. But let me be clear. How is God building the church he's always wanted? Not by finding better people. That's not what he's doing. It's not like he found the disciples and the disciples were so faithful and they were so solid and they're, they're going to do what Israel could never do. What he's saying is, no, the, the problem with people is the same whether they're, they're Jews or non-Jews. The problem is all the same. The solution has to be something else. He's not finding a better people, but he's, he's healing the brokenness of people, their unfaithfulness, by sending himself, his own spirit, He's pouring out grace and kindness and love and forgiveness and drawing people in. He is doing a new thing. He is bringing about the church he's always wanted, the people of God he's always wanted. And he's doing that not by making them better, but by enabling and equipping and forgiving and leading them and sending his Holy Spirit among them. 
it's not a solution that comes from them internally. It's a solution that comes from him externally. It's God doing a work in people that they could not do on their own, something they could not deserve. The church are simply um, made clean because they've received a gift of forgiveness and they receive the Holy Spirit and there's new things going on. There's the being, they are being pervaded by love and wisdom and power as a gift, as a grace. There's a new life, a fullness of life, a gift received through Christ for these people, and it is for all people. And so we sit here, you know, 2,000 years later after this event, and we're celebrating Pentecost, and we're, we're looking to what God has done. He sent His Spirit into people, into New Testament people, and into believers in Jesus, the Messiah. And He's doing something. He's bringing about people full of love, full of wisdom, full of power. And I just, you know, I think it's worth asking the question when it comes to the church with respect. So what happened? Right? What happened along the way? Because, you know, like something powerful happened here on Pentecost, right? And yet I wouldn't say that most of us probably in our experience of church like, like see this sort of stuff happening all the time. And I don't say that flippantly or judgmentally to the church. Um, I don't want to discount the fact that, that many people here have seen God do great things through the church and through believers, and like that's why all of us are here. Otherwise, we just wouldn't be here. God has been faithful to his church through millennia, and he continues to be. He continues to work in the church. And we're here because we've known that. We know what it, what it is to be saved by grace. We've known what it is to be for, forgiven. We know what it is to be loved by God. We know what it is to receive something from God, like his cleansing, his forgiveness, his kindness, right? But I, I don't think it's a secret, and I don't say this rudely, I hope you won't hear that, that broadly, um, the church, at least in, in the West or in the United States, like, seems to be a little bit on its back foot, seems to be a little bit like the church um, isn't always known for being pervaded by love, wisdom, and power. And I don't believe that's because of the culture that we live in that's so opposed to us or because of some external force that's against us. I actually believe that's uh, we are in the place we find ourselves in because to an extent, I think we just haven't leaned into what God is trying to do right here at Pentecost. We haven't understood what he's doing, the new work that he is doing. We've gone backwards. We've gone backwards. And I don't, I, you know, I don't feel guilty about that myself personally, because, because just like, like Peter wasn't going around and explaining all this stuff to them, like that they crucified the Messiah so that they would feel bad about it, he was saying, look, there's an opportunity set before you. God wants to do a new thing. Isn't that great? And they freak out, and they're like, oh, what should we do, right? But he says, so just, just don't worry about it. Just, he says, repent, which is not this thing about, about feeling guilty or bad about yourself or beating yourself up. Repentance is just open, have, you, have a new mind, like have a renewed mind. Think again about what you've been thinking. Consider the gift of God. Make use of it. Welcome it in. Like receive the Spirit. It's what He wants to do. In simple ways, 
I think the church on an organizational level, right, and through habits and through traditions that have gotten in the way, we've moved away from what God wanted to do at, at Pentecost. And I'm not talking about being Pentecostal with a capital P, right? I, because, you know, like I'm not talking about moving into one tradition or stream of, of church, but I'm, I'm talking about just being open to what the Spirit wants to do and what He's showing us in, in, in the book of Acts to do. And we've reverted to old common forms of following God. I think like illustrating it this way is helpful. We want Moses and not Christ. That was Israel's problem all along. We see this um, actually like, you know, if, if you read Israel's story, right? At one point, um, God basically says, I'm going to bring you into the land, and I'm going to establish you, and you're not going to have a king. And, and then Israel's like, but we'd rather have a king. <laughs> because, you know, and, and God's like, no, 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 look, I'm going to be your king. I'm just going to be God among you. I'm going to be gracious and kind. I'm going to oversee you. I'm going to, like, give you judgments and justice and defend you. And the people are like, eh, we'd rather have a tall guy. Can we have a tall guy instead of you, God, right? You know, there's this long habit among people, and even among Israel, that they want a leader. They want a person to follow, not God himself. And churches, man, we love pastors to follow, yet we're called to follow Christ. And men like me love being followed. How dare we? Don't follow me. Follow Christ. I'm really not worth following. <laughs> it's easy because I'm like, like, this guy? No, I'm, yeah, I'm not even tall. See, Paul was so into this, right? I was talking to, to my friend Pete the other day, and we were talking about Paul and, and how he does come, he comes across a little harsh. Like, you, you, you ever read Paul? You're like, this guy's a jerk. But he was a jerk about some specific things. He was a jerk because he knew people's tendency to want to follow people and not Christ. And when he saw that, he was kind of like, what's wrong with you? He's had an attitude. Colossians 1, 25 and 20 through 29 says this. I have become its servant, that's like the gospel, according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generation, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. If you read Paul's letters, Paul was like a, a dog with a bone about this thing, that what he intended for the church was not that they'd be people who follow even him, or other leaders or pastors, but people who followed Jesus, people who were filled with the Holy Spirit, who had an orientation towards God where it's like, no, they just want to, to do what God says, not what people say. People want to listen to the Holy Spirit above all things. He wanted the church collectively to be people who have Christ in them and to understand that that is enough. Like the counsel of God, the work of God, that the Spirit of God at work in you is enough. Paul's message was not, hey, I'm a special guy with lots of wisdom. You should listen to me. 
He didn't think he was special because he had such great strength. He knew that God was at work in him, and he wanted people to understand that God was at work in them too, that they had received the gift of Jesus Christ and his spirit. He didn't proclaim himself. He proclaimed Christ, Christ in you. He proclaimed Christ in the church that the Spirit of God who is at work in the, in the church was the Spirit that was work, work in Jesus and that the church just needed to be people who listened from the least to the greatest, that they could all be pervaded with wisdom and love and power. He had that hope and expectation. The church that God wanted to, uh, wanted to bring about at Pentecost, and I think really honestly, the church that I want, and I think the church that most of us want, is the church where people understand that Christ is in them. I think I have a slide. It didn't, it didn't word it quite right, so, you know, but I've got a slide for that. The church you've always wanted is the church where Christ is in people. Christ is in you, and Christ is at work. I, this, this, is a, this is kind of a long quote. You know me and my long quotes, but thank you for tolerating me. It's not a Dallas Willard quote. Okay, so it says this. <laughs> whistle. You whistled. Wow. This is the most distinctive mark of Pauline Christianity. This is what separates his doctrine from all other systems of religion. He did not come merely to teach a higher truth, or a finer morality than those who, who preceded him, he came to administer the Spirit. Before St. Paul, many teachers had incul uh, inculcated lofty principles of conduct that had ex expounded uh, profound doctrines. Men did not need another. They needed life. Christ came to give that life. And St. Paul came as a minister of Christ to lead men, uh, men to Christ who is the life that in him they might find life. The gospel was a gospel of power. We have seen this truth illustrated again and again. He did not establish a constitution. He inculcated principles. He did not introduce any practice to be received on his own uh, human authority. He strove to make his converts realize and understand their relation to Christ. He always aimed at convincing their minds and stirring their consciences. He never sought to enforce their obedience by decree. He always strove to win their heartfelt approval and their intelligent cooperation. He never proceeded by command, but always by persuasion. He never did things for them. He always left them to do things for themselves. He set them as example according to the mind of Christ, and he was persuaded that the Spirit of Christ in them would teach them and approve that example and inspire them to follow it. Paul was a jerk about some things, like he was stringent, he was insistent about some things, but it was always according to this principle that they had Christ in them and that God was going to do a work. God was going to build them up and teach them how to listen to the Spirit, that they could become, not through compulsion, not through being better people or finding willpower that they don't have, but through listening and learning to be docile in the hands of the Spirit, that they could be people who have love and power and faithfulness and transformation coming out of them. And it wasn't 
Paul just set up a bunch of rules. His rule was follow Christ in you. Don't ignore him. Don't neglect the spirit that's within you. Be rooted and built up and established in the spirit. Listen, because Jesus is speaking. And I believe that to be the church that God wants, that God intended to bring about, we need to understand that there is no way forward except Christ in us. The world doesn't need hard truths. The world needs Christ in you. You don't need a set of rules or someone to guilt you into something. You need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for the new life you have in Jesus. And unless we do that, I don't think we can be, unless we set before us the true prize, Christ himself working in us. I don't think we can be the church that we even want to be. But Paul understood. And we have to understand. We just need to call this what it is. We have to understand that people are addicted to delegating their spiritual lives to others. You can't do it. You can't do it. I am addicted. And I'm a pastor. (laughs) I am addicted to delegating my spiritual life to other people. But I need to learn the habit, the habits that come along with just listening to Jesus. Putting my attention upon him. Praying. Waking up. Asking him, Lord, speak to me. I believe that you speak. Would you speak to me? How else can I move forward? How else can the church move forward? Unless we become people who listen to the Spirit. And frankly, you know, we live in a time of judgment on the church like in, in the United States of America. Where, and judgment is just God letting stuff happen, <laughs> letting us go our own way. I think, and I, I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not above it, but we live in a time where the church has been in scandal, and I think many of us long for something different. We live in a time where there's been abuse of power in the church, and don't we want something more? Don't we want something better? Don't we want to be so filled with wisdom and power and love. I think the only way forward is that we have to take ownership. We cannot delegate our spiritual lives to other people. We have to understand Christ is in us, and we have just to listen. We have only to learn the habits of listening to him. We need to own the fact that Christ is in us. I need to own the fact that Christ is in me and that I have everything I need for a life of righteousness. I can just listen to him. I can open up his word. I can be filled and built up and established. But I have to take some ownership for that, that I need to look to the right things. The right right thing is to him. You have a spiritual calling. You need to step up and, and lean into it. 
you need to do those things, right? Um, and and uh, when you do, when all of us do, I think we'll find that we can be the church that we've always wanted. We might not be the church with the largest attendance. Who cares, you know? But let's be the church that we've always wanted, a church where, where, where the love of Christ is present, where we are growing and being challenged and, and called to greater things. I would like that. And ironically... It's the church that Moses wanted, right? We have this tendency to go back to Moses to want leaders to delegate our spiritual, uh, spiritual lives to other people. Moses didn't want that for Israel. Uh, read uh, Numbers 11, 24 through 30. It's, it's a really fascinating little passage. It says this, Moses went out, told the people the word of the Lord, right? That was his job. He was kind of the delegated leader. He, he consulted with the Lord on behalf of the people. And he brought 70 men of the elders of the people, and he had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord descended in a cloud, and he spoke to him. He took some of this... Uh, some he took some of the spirit who was on Moses and placed the spirit on the 70 elders. And the spirit rested on them, and they prophesied but they never did it again. Two men had remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Maydad, and the spirit rested on them. And they were among those listed, but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Maydad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, assistant to Moses since he was youth, responded, Moses! My Lord, stop them. But Moses asked him, are you jealous on my account? If only all of the Lord's people were prophets and the Lord would place his spirit on them. And then Moses returned to the camp along with the elders of Israel. Moses knew even back before God had done this remarkable thing at Pentecost, sending his spirit upon all flesh, just like he had promised throughout the Old Testament, even before God had done all of that, Moses knew it would be far better that people would have the spirit of God upon them and that the Lord's people were prophets. It would be far better than me having to be the one who is the representative of the people because Moses knew and he understood that something better was coming. And now we have that. We are people who have the Spirit of God put within us, and we have only to like lean into what God wants to do. Uh, I think the church that you've always wanted, right, it is, it is uh, a church where, where Christ is in each of us, but it's also a church who, who practices, who, who puts, uh, who does the work of being filled with the Spirit and exercising those gifts, right? And Paul was super clear about this. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 says this, right? This is what Paul presents as the normal operations of the church, the New Testament church. He says, this is normal. There are different gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. There are different activities, but the same God works all of them in each person. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, 
gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, performing of miracles to another, prophesy to another, distinguishing between spirits to another, uh, different kinds of tongues to another, interpretation of tongues. One and the same spirit is active in all of these, distributing to each person as he wills. What Paul's representation of the normal life in the church is that the Holy Spirit is working in individual people, and they're ministering one to another, right? And in the normal course of what Paul describes as like normal church life, it's not like they need Moses to come and be the one who does the stuff, but the people are just doing the stuff. Very articulate. The people are doing the stuff, right? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in these people. And it doesn't doesn't have to be wild and it doesn't have to be crazy, right? It can just be the normal work of the Spirit in people, building each other up, blessing each other, caring about people. That's what, see, but this is like the thing. Like, the thing is that that, for that to be like, like happening, like we have to get over our addiction to sitting down and doing nothing, to thinking that our spiritual lives are going to progress through better cogitation. The mind is important. We need to understand things, but we have to move on to to action and being available to what the Spirit wants to do, being willing to be led by the Spirit. And we, we operate under the delusion that like somehow we can grow spiritually and somehow we can go into this, this, this like new work that, that God wants to do in the church through just like folding our arms and not participating in it. But, but Paul right, had this idea that when the Spirit would come into the church, like it was in the cooperation with people. There was going to be cooperation. Um, but we're afraid, well, I don't know, are we, maybe we're afraid of that, maybe we're a little skeptical of that, and I get that, there's lots of things in the church that are maybe worth being a little skeptical of, but the simple truth that Paul lays out is that there is an opportunity for the Spirit to work in people, and there's nobody um, in that vision of what, what Paul presents as just like normal church life, there's nobody inconsequential. It's the Spirit working in different people to equip the church with different needs, and, and nobody is, like, able to just sit on the sidelines. Nobody's invited to just be on the bench. We've benched the church. So let's get off the bench. If you want to um, take a practical step to that, I'm just going to, a little advertisement, we are, uh, <laughs> I'm calling it spiritual summer school, right? Like summer school, like summer school is appropriate, right? Because summer school is like remedial school. But also, summer school is for the super advanced, right? If you want to graduate early, go to summer school. If you're not going to graduate on time, you should get to summer school. So wherever you're at, if you feel really confident in this, great, come on out to summer school. We're going to be Wednesdays at 7 starting June 20, 28th, and we're going we're to really lean into prayer and we're also going to lean into, I don't know, like, see what, what God would do if we were open to, to the Spirit a little bit more, right? I don't, I don't think it'll be weird. It'll be fun. We like the breakfast club. <laughs> I don't know in what way Emilio Estevez will be there. No, I, he was in there, right? I don't know. I can't remember. It's fine. 
It, I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, so yeah, so like, but here's the thing, is that we, we, we need to, in order to move to this place where we're practicing, we need to actually practice. We just do stuff. We need to try it out in, in a safe environment where nobody's going to look at you or think that you're a weirdo. I mean, just like the normal amount. Um, <laughs> sorry, I love you all. Um, <laughs> I'll be the weird one. Um, and yeah, so, so like, like we need to just kind of get, get to this point where we're more comfortable with that. And, you know, coming in September, October, we're going to spend a lot more time just talking about spiritual gifts, talking about prayer. So planning on some stuff right now uh, with the elders. We're sort of reading and thinking and praying through this stuff. But, but we've got to be a church where we are just willing to, to step into what the Spirit has. Um, and to do it like appropriately for our community. So the thing is, like, we don't have to just act like we're other people. Like, what if the Spirit just showed up here? Like, what would it look like at I-90? Like, I think it would be awesome. I think it would be beautiful. Be beautiful. I think we have people who are hungry for that. So just encourage you to, to come out for that if you're able on, on Wednesdays. And if you can't make this one, we'll probably do something else, you know, later. I, I know throwing, choo- choosing a, a date to do anything <laughs> was kind of impossible, but this seemed like the best option Wednesdays. Okay, final point. The church that you've always wanted is also, it's a missionary church. Like, understand, like, what, what happens is uh, that suddenly the Spirit shows up among all these people, and they're speaking different languages, right? These people are speaking the languages of the people gathered there. And, and what happens, right, in the book of Acts, from, from Acts 2 onwards, and particularly uh, in the middle of, of the narrative of the book of Acts, like we, we've known because we've been looking at it, is that this is the word of God in this new movement, the church, the, this movement of, of Christ in people, it's going out into the whole world. There's a missionary movement going on in the church. And in the church, like, like, we need to understand that even today we are missionaries. Which, you know, the, the one, I think, fundamental thing that makes a missionary a, a missionary is that they're not really, they don't quite fit in. They're kind of like outsiders in a culture. That's always the vision of the New Testament church. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles... That's your identity if, you're, if you have Christ in you. Like, you're not of this world anymore. And I think one of the things that most gets in the way of our willingness to step out into these new things that God wants is that, I mean, just like what kept Israel from taking on, like, 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 like they wanted a king. Why did they want a king? If you go back and you look at it, Israel wanted a king so that they could be just like all the other nations. And God said, no, I don't want you to be like them. And I think a lot of times, like, like we, we don't step into what God has for us. We don't step into an openness to what the Holy Spirit would want to do among us because we want to just be like our neighbors and our friends. We'd like to just fit in a little bit more. We don't want to be that weird. And I don't think there's any, any value necessarily in being weird. But we have to understand, if we have Christ within us, we have God in our own hearts, like, like we're going to think differently and operate differently, and it's going to become difficult for us to make alliances with kind of cultural norms. And that's what... what Peter's advice here is to the church. He says, you're strangers and exiles, so abstain from the sinful desires that wage against your soul. Right? So there's, there's, there's moral distinction. But he's kind of also going on. He says, 
it comes down to your conduct. He says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, the, the people who don't know God, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your, your good works and glorify God on the day that he visits. Like, we have to be a missionary people because something God is doing something among us that is totally like radical. It's transformative. I, I, and I think it just like comes down on, on cultural stuff, right? I mean, number one, it means that we take on like certain moral principles, um, like, like commitments to, to certain things that, that we let God define what sin is. Um, but you know what? That cuts in uncomfortable ways too. Like, you know, honestly, like evangelicals tend to be sort of conservative leaning, right? And we have things that conservatives like, like to, to agree upon that are, that are not you know, good or, or that are beyond certain moral categories. But you know what else is also like sin? Is uh, anger, slander, greed. <laughs> like we, we, we can't be missionaries to a culture. We cannot go out there like being full of the spirit of God if we're making peace with things and squinting at stuff that's just not acceptable for the church. We are going to be different even than people who might have some common social commitments. I'm just speculating. (laughs) Um, But we can't be of the world. And I am... I am sick. I think one of the reasons that the church, and it it happens age upon age upon age, one of the reasons that the church gets stuck and doesn't move on to the next thing is because we accept, like, the cultural deadlocks. And we need to just get past them. We need to be willing to just proclaim the truth, but we are not on a team. We're not playing this team sport that the world is playing. We need to get past that. We're on God's team, and he's coming from heaven. He's bringing heaven on earth. He's putting Christ in us. And you know what? Christ wasn't on a team. He showed up in the world, and he was just like, he confounded all the categories. The conservatives hated him. The liberals hated him. Nobody liked Christ because he just like, like wouldn't play the game that they were playing. We cannot be captive to parties or systems or worldviews that are not just simply Jesus' worldviews. We just got to be honest about what it looks like to be in the world, but not of it. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying don't have your political views. I'm not saying any of that. But I do think we have to understand that we're just missionaries in this world, and um, we have to be committed to Jesus above all things, all things. The church that we've always wanted is something that's come down from heaven. The worship team is going to come up here, and we're going to... Oh, look at that. Got time. We're going to take communion today. And um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is just come on up and grab your communion but then go back to your seat and, um, and just, just hang on to it for a little bit because I just want to lead us and I'm going to make you a little uncomfortable, okay? So to be, prepare yourselves to be a little uncomfortable. Suddenly, like, three people are going to be like, I have to go to the bathroom. Um, that's okay. You're, you're free. I'm not <laughs> going to force anything awkward on you or anything like that. Um,
yeah, so, um, so yeah, why doesn't the worship team, we'll just like do a verse here and then um, everybody can get their communion and then we will, we'll come back together and we'll just, we'll just take this together. Let's do that. Thanks, Dad.